0: And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Hello, I'm Pat Malone, and I'd like to welcome you to the Church in the Home, where we share the light of God's Word from our home to you. I know the truth of God's Word, and I believe what I heard, yeah, yeah, I believe what I heard. I believe what I heard, so I'm standing on the word of God. You can take your Bibles and go to 1 Samuel chapter 31. We've been following the life of David, and we've seen in our last couple of um, times together that he has been pursued by Saul and Saul has tried to kill him on on many many occasions now and yet David although he had opportunity to do harm to Saul never has last week we saw that David was as close enough to be able to cut off the the hem of his his skirt and could have easily killed him while Saul was in the cave, but he didn't do it. And Saul, again and again, kind of when he's confronted in those situations, get, comes back to his right mind, but it doesn't last, and this just happens over and over again. And David, for this long period of time, flees before Saul. For this long period of time, he lives with that threat of his life being taken by Saul. And he just continues to trust God. And he trusts that God will protect him, and he trusts that God will take care of the situation. In 1 Samuel chapter 31, we have the conclusion of this matter with the end of Saul's life. In chapter 31, in verse 1, And the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell down slain in Mount Gilboa. So the men of Israel are on the run from the Philistines, and they're getting beat. They're getting slaughtered here. And the Philistines followed hard upon Saul and upon his sons. And the Philistines slew Jonathan and Abinadab and Micah Saul's sons. Jonathan, who was so dear to David, such a great friend to David, Jonathan dies in this battle. And the battle went sore against Saul, and the archers hit him, and he was sore wounded of the archers. So he's shot by one of the archers. He shot a narrow narrow shot into him, and he is, you know, fatally wounded here. Then said Saul unto his armor bearer, draw thy sword and thrust me through here therewith, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor bearer would not, for he was sore afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell upon it. So because Saul is wounded, he's concerned that the Philistines are going to find him. They're going to get him, that he can't get away. And that if they get a hold of him, well, then it's not going to be a quick death. They're going to really torture him. They're going to just do all kinds of terrible things to him. And, and rather than that, he decides to take his own life. First, he asks his armor bearer. The armor bearer was, was like the one who was kind of like his bodyguard. And he asked him, first of all, to kill him, but the armor bearer would not do it. And he wouldn't do it because no matter what Saul is asking, he knows that this is not his place. He knows that it's not right for him, even, in, even if Saul's asking him to, to raise his hand against the Lord's anointed. So he refuses, and then Saul falls upon his sword. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he fell likewise upon his sword and died with him. So he kills himself. He kills himself having failed to protect Saul and realizing that he was you know, most likely going to file up, face some consequences for that himself. Verse 6. So Saul died, and his three sons, and his armor-bearer, and all his men that same day together. And when the men of Israel that were on the other side of the valley and they that were on the other side Jordan saw that the men of Israel fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they forsook the cities and fled, and the Philistines came and dwelt in them. Once the army sees that Saul and his sons are dead, they just they, they leave the battle. They run away. And the Philistines come in and they just easily take those cities. Hmm. And it came to pass on the morrow when the Philistines came to strip the slain that they found Saul and his three sons fallen in Mount Gilboa. And they cut off his head and stripped off his armor and sent into the land of the Philistines round about to publish it in the house of their idols and among the people. And they put his armor in the house of Ashtaroth, a false god, and they fastened his body to the wall of Beshan. And when the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead heard of that which the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and went all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bashan and came to Jabesh and burnt them there. And they took their bones and buried them under a tree at Jabesh and fasted seven days. So the valiant men, the ones that weren't cowards, the ones that didn't run away, these men at great peril to themselves, go and find the body of Saul and reclaim it from the enemy and see to it that it gets a a proper burial. That's the end of Saul. That's the end of, of his life. And, you know, one of the things that's remarkable about the end of Saul's life is how it appears, in terms of how he died, and why he died when you look at it from man's viewpoint and how you see it in a whole nother light when you look at it from God's perspective. Turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 10. We just read that Saul died because the battle went against him, that he was in a war, he was in a battle, and they were overrun by the enemy, and he was killed. And that seems to be, you know, a, a pretty simple, complete answer to it. And for most people, that's as far as what they would ever consider. They would only consider the things that are seen, the things that are seen as being the cause for this event. Just like people only ever consider the things that are seen, but there's so often the things that are not seen behind it. Life is spiritual. Life is spiritual. And many people are unaware of that, and even those that have some knowledge of it often fail to recognize the spiritual causes behind the events that happen in life. They look at the events, and they look at it just from a five senses cause and effect relationship. And that's not to say that those five senses cause and effect relationships aren't there in the situation, but the reason why they're there is another matter. In 1 Chronicles chapter 10, this record of what we just read in Samuel is covered in Chronicles. If you're not familiar with that, Chronicles covers the records in Samuel and Kings. There are parallel records in Chronicles, the same stories told in another place. And one of the main reasons why it's told in more than one place is Samuel and Kings will tell a story from man's perspective, and Chronicles will give the added perspective of God's viewpoint in the situation. And that's where you get some great added insight here in Chronicles. First in 1 Chronicles chapter 10. Now, we won't read it, but it begins here in verse 1, covering what basically we read in Samuel. Um, But we will pick it up in verse 13. So here it is, it describes the battle, but then verse 13 says, So Saul died for his transgression, which he committed against the Lord, even against the word of the Lord, which he kept not, and also for asking counsel of one that had a familiar spirit to inquire of it, and inquired not of the Lord, therefore he slew him and turned the kingdom unto David the son of Jesse. So we see that the reason why Saul died was for his transgression, according to verse 13. It wasn't just a casualty of war. Saul died for what sins he had committed, and it lists specifically two things here. One, his refusal to obey the word of the Lord that was given to him by Samuel that cost him the kingdom in the first place when he did not carry out the instructions to go in and wipe out the Amalekites. And two, that he inquired of a familiar spirit. Saul knew that God was, the spirit of God was no longer on him, and that he was no longer able to receive revelation from God. And so prior to this battle, right prior to this battle, Saul goes to a woman. She's called the Witch of Endor. And he goes to this woman, and he asked her, is this going to be okay? Am I going to be all right? He wants his fortune told. He wants her to, to, you know, look in her crystal ball, read her tarot cards, read his palm, however her method was. But he inquires of this witch of Endor, and that was strictly forbidden under the law. It was absolutely forbidden under the Mosaic law and punishable by death. You see, again... Man's perspective versus God's. What man thinks is a terrible thing, you know, is not always the same as what God thinks is a terrible thing. Men think that there's no big deal with this stuff, with tarot cards and ESP and all this spiritualism stuff. They think it's no big deal, and some think it's fun, and some are attracted to it. And they make wonderful, they, they write huge books You know, big, thick books that every and a whole series of them for every kid to read and applaud the idea that these kids are reading these books when they're absolutely devilish and they're getting kids interested in all this stuff that costs Saul his life. And then they make movies about it, and they're such successful movies. Everywhere you go, everywhere you turn, this stuff is is just so throughout our culture, so prevails in our culture. And it's absolutely devilish. And I don't care how many people think it's nice and it's harmless. I don't care how much Disney wants to make it sweet and wonderful and kind. It's absolutely devilish. And spiritually, it's the bottom of the totem pole. This stuff is, is, is just about as low as you can get on the spiritual totem pole. This stuff will cost people's lives. It will cost nations to go down the tubes. And it's absolutely what costs Saul his life here in this situation. Well, good to know. Let's go to Second Samuel chapter one. In Second Samuel, word of Saul's death gets back to David. David. Now, before we read the record and see how David reacts, how do you think most people in David's situation would react to this news? Celebrate. They'd celebrate. Man, they would have a party. They'd pop the champagne corks, you know, they'd invite everybody over, they'd celebrate. Finally, they're safe. Finally, this guy's not trying to, to chase him with a whole army to kill him. And this man who's done all these terrible things, you know, you would think that if David didn't celebrate, he'd at least be pleased with the news. Well, some guy thought that David would be pleased with the news, and he turned out to be very wrong. We'll see in this record. In 2 Samuel chapter 1, and it came to pass, verse 1, after the death of Saul, when David was returned from the slaughter of the Malachites, and David had abode two days in Ziklach, it came even to pass on the third day, that behold, a man came out of the camp from Saul with his clothes rent, all torn up, and earth upon his head. And so it was when he came to David that he fell to the earth and did obeisance. So this guy comes, and he, you know, he's coming from the battle, and he looks like he's been in a battle. And he comes to David, and he falls down to show respect to David. And David said unto him, From whence comest thou? Where are you coming from? And he said unto him, Out of the camp of Israel am I escaped. I just managed to get out with my life. And David said unto him, How went the matter? How did the the battle go? How did the war go? I pray thee, tell me. And he answered, That the people are fled from the battle, And many of the people also are fallen and dead. And Saul and Jonathan his (coughs) his son are dead also. And David said unto the young man that told him, How knowest that Saul and Jonathan, his son, be dead? How do you know this? How do you know that this is the the fact? And the young man that told him said, As I happened by chance upon Mount Gilboa, behold, Saul leaned upon his spear, and, lo, the chariots and horsemen followed hard after him. And when he looked behind him, he saw me and called unto me, and I answered, Here am I. And he said unto me, Who art thou? And I answered him, I am an Amalekite. A what? Amalekite. An Amalekite. Who are the Amalekites? People that David just slaughtered. People that David just slaughtered. Who was supposed to slaughter them? Saul. Saul. These are the same people, okay? There shouldn't be an Amalekite in the first place. There should not be an Amalekite walking around in the first place because had Saul done his job, there wouldn't be. There wouldn't be. And then David is just trying to pick up, finish off what Saul didn't do and should have done. He's just been killing these guys when one of them shows up and thinks that I'm going to save my life by telling him that I killed his enemy. That's what he's coming there. And he looked behind him, he saw me, and called, and I said, here am I, and I said, I'm an Amalekite, verse 9. He said unto me again, Stand, I pray thee, upon me, and slay me, for anguish has come upon me, because my life is yet whole in me. So I stood upon him and slew him, because I was sure that he could not live after that he was fallen. And I took the crown that was upon his head and the bracelet that was on his arm and have brought them hither unto my Lord. The way the guy tells the story, he tells it as though it was a mercy killing. But if it was a mercy killing, he had no need to take the crown and the bracelet and bring them to David. He was doing that to try to get into David's good graces. Whether this guy really finished Saul off or whether he just came across the body after Saul had, had killed himself, it's not clear from the records. And it really gets down to, you know, it doesn't specifically say any place that this guy was telling the truth or not. In the records that we read in Samuel and Chronicles, it says that Saul killed himself. Now, whether this guy helped that along some, I am not. I can't definitively say. Either way, what I can say is that his coming to David is simply to try to spare his life and get into David's good graces, but he's sure gone about it the wrong way. Verse 11. Then David took hold of his clothes and rent them. He rent his mantle. And that's a sign of just anguish and despair. And, you know, when you're just so upset, that's when people rent their mantle. They they tore the mantle. And likewise, all the men that were with him. And they did what? Mourned. And they mourned. They didn't celebrate. They didn't have a party. They didn't cheer. And, you know... These guys that were with David are the ones that have been with him while Saul and his army were was pursuing them. And yet David and his men, they mourn. They mourn and wept and fasted until even for Saul and for Jonathan his son and for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel because they were fallen by the sword. This was an occasion for grief, for mourning, for the loss of Saul, for the loss of his son, and for all the men of Israel that fell in battle. This was a time where they felt bad and they, they, they cried and they couldn't eat and they just mourned all day. Verse 13, And David said unto the young man that told him, Whence art thou? Where do you come from? Where do you come from? And he answered and said, I am the son of a stranger, an Amalekite. (laughs) And David said unto him, How was thou not afraid to stretch forth thine hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? Saul's own right-hand guy in that battle, his his bodyguard, his armor-bearer was afraid to, to raise his hand. How is it that you, an Amalekite, were not afraid to do that? And David called one of the young men and said, Go near and fall upon him. (laughs) That means you get him. You go get him right now. And he smote him that he died. So that did not turn out the way this guy was hoping. David has one of his guys immediately go over and kill him for doing that. And David said unto him, Thy blood be upon thy head. For thy mouth hath testified against thee, saying, I have slain the Lord's anointed. You brought your death on your own head, because you said it. You said you killed the Lord's anointed. And David lamented with this lamentation over Saul and over Jonathan his son. Also he bade them teach the children of Israel the use of the bow. Behold, it is written in the book of of Jasher. And here's David's lamentation, his, his crying out, his eulogizing Saul. The beauty of Israel is slain upon thy high places. How are the mighty fallen? Tell it not in Gath. Publish it not in the streets of Ascalon. Lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice. Lest the daughters of the uncircumcised triumph. Ye mounts of Gilboa, let there be no dew. Neither let there be rain upon you, nor fields of offerings. For there the shield of the mighty is vilely cast away, the shield of Saul as though he had not been anointed with oil. From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow, the bow of Jonathan turned not back, and the sword of Saul returned not empty. Saul and Jonathan were lovely and pleasant in their lives. Wow. These are the words coming from David, whom Saul had just spent, you know, I don't know how long trying to kill. Saul and Jonathan were lovely and pleasant in their lives, and in their death they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles, they were stronger than lions. Ye daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you in scarlet with other delights, who put on ornaments of gold upon your apparel. No one else might be remembering all the good that Saul did before he went the other direction, but David was. David was remembering the good things that Saul had done for Israel and called on Israel to remember those things as well. How are the mighty fallen, verse 25, in the midst of the battle? O Jonathan, thou wast slain in thine hind places. I am distressed for thee, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant hast thou been unto me. Thy love to me was wonderful, passing the love of woman. How are the mighty fallen, and the weapons of war perished? And of course, we know that great love that David had for Jonathan, that he loved him above everyone that he loved him even more than the love of of his wife, that he had this wonderful friendship with Jonathan. And so he mourns for Jonathan, and he mourns for Saul. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. In all of these things, again, we see why David is such a wonderful man, a man after God's own heart we see that David lived the love of God. In Matthew chapter 5, in verse 43, Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemies. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them which curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. A lot of times people read these verses and they think, oh boy, but you don't know my situation. You don't know what I'm putting up with. You don't know how wrongly I've been treated. You know, it's in the face of injustice. When you can love in the face of injustice, then you know it's really the love of God. That takes the real love of God to love when people do despitefully treat you and persecute you. But boy, David did it. David did it, and he did it in a far worse situation than I can imagine any of us would ever face. That here Saul pursued him, tried to take his life when when you know all he had done was fight for Saul. And yet David, he loves him. It said to bless them, in verse forty-five, that ye may be the children of your father which is in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans the same. Anybody can do that. Anybody can love those that love them. That's no big deal. That's no great accomplishment. Anybody can love people that are nice to them, that treat them kindly. That doesn't require the love of God. Anybody can do that. But it requires the love of God to love those that are your enemies, that do treat you like dirt. It requires that love of God, and that's what God asks us to do. He asks us to love our enemies. Verse 47, And if you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans though so? Be therefore perfect, even as your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. Look at Romans chapter 12. That's the gospel administration. That's the Christ administration. We see it that David did it in the Old Testament. We see that Jesus Christ called on people to do it in his time. And in Romans chapter 12, we see that we're also required to live that kind of love. In Romans chapter 12, and in verse 17, Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. We're not to return evil for evil. We're not to, when somebody does, treat us badly, when we have been taken advantage of, when we've been treated unjustly. We're not to look for ways to just get back at them. We're not to look for ways to just take revenge. We're not to to try to repay somebody's evil for evil. You know, it's funny. It seems like I more often hear people today, instead of saying, do unto others as as you would have others do unto you, they more often seem to say, do unto others as others do unto you. (laughs) You know? If you treat me nice, I'll treat you nice, but if you're lousy to me, boy, you better watch out. And that's the attitude today. But that's not what Jesus Christ lived or taught. It's not what David lived or taught. It's not what God asks us to do. Verse 18 says, if it, be, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. If it's possible, as much as you possibly can, just live at peace with all men. But if that's not possible, (laughs) because they don't want to live peaceably with you, it still doesn't give us license to turn around and, and take vengeance on them. Verse 19, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. David trusted that God would take care of the situation with Saul, and he did. And even after that, David still felt badly for Saul. But we don't have to worry if we trust that God will take care of us. Verse 20, Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. We can either succumb and become just like the evil, or we can overcome evil with good. That's our choice. God bless you. You can't bring me down, no word is on my mind.